The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. But this morning we are going to continue our series on persuasion. If you've been with us, you know we've been talking about the idea of persuasion. So so what's going on? Why are we doing that? Well, uh, for those, the idea goes like this. For those who have met Jesus and he's changed you, um, you're not content with other people not knowing him. Um, first of all, if you, if you love God, you, 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 want, you want Jesus to be seen for who he is and what he's done. You just want that to happen. Secondly, if you love other people, gosh, if, if Jesus is the best thing to you and you won't share it with other people, that's kind of selfish. Uh, if this is the best thing, you, you want to share it. So our memory verse from last month from 2 Corinthians, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, some of you could probably finish it, we what? We persuade others. And so we've been thinking, well, how do we do this? Uh, you'll remember persuasion, we want to be real careful here, it's not manipulation, it's not force, you never try to force someone to believe something. Um, it's just an honest, loving effort at convincing someone using compelling evidence, so let's, let's talk about it. That's what we're saying in persuasion. Here's the evidence. And then trying to compel someone to believe based on the truth. So I want to keep on this for a little bit longer in the hope that this year, um, wouldn't it be great if, if each one of you could, God would use you in someone's life to persuade them, to bring them to trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants for us, right? It's not just pastors who are persuaders. Uh, it's Christians who are persuaders. And so we want to think about this. Uh, and so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to learn from Jesus. And basically, I want two, two things to happen simultaneously. One is we want to learn from what he's saying, okay? Let's just, let's see what he's saying here because it's essential. It's so important. Let's learn from what he's saying and believe, Secondly, let's just not learn from what he's saying. Let's learn from how he's saying it. Because you're going to watch Jesus attempt to persuade someone. Let's learn from how he's saying it so that we can follow his example. You see the two things happening? So, so let's learn from what he's saying and believe it because he's Lord. And let's, let's learn from how he's saying it and follow his example so that we can be persuaders as he calls us to be. Before we get there, I just want to do some super quick background. If you're new to this, uh, it, might, it might not all make tons of sense because we're, we're building on something. But here's backgrounds. Just, these are four kind of, I want to give you again, four kind of principles we've seen from biblical examples of persuasion, just to put these in your pocket. How do we do this? Keeping it simple, there's four kind of uh, principles or strategies, if you will, to hang on to. Number one is ask questions. Ask questions. Questions invite relationship, participation. They help us rethink what we believe so that we'll seek truth. We ask questions. Number two, build on common ground, right? Uh, we all live in God's world together. Everybody believes something true. We believe the same thing somewhere. Build on that. Build on common ground. So what was the first one? Ask questions. What was the second one? Build on common ground. The third one, question the disconnect. What, what do you mean? Well, let me give you this. Um, everyone's biggest problem, according to 
biblical authors, and this is my biggest problem, by the way, as well, uh, is called unbelief. Now, unbelief intentionally suppresses truth about God and his world due to a selfish agenda. Okay? Does that make sense? You ever rationalize something, you knew, what, you knew it was wrong, but you, come on, you were going to do it. And so you made up reasons why it was the greatest, greatest idea in history. Have you ever done that before? Everybody was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on, right? Come on. Um, you, you ever had an argument with, with a close friend or your spouse or your, your mom was like, hey, look, what's up? And you're like, well, oh, look at this. And what are you doing? You're, you're the, little, the little mini politician in you, right? Spinning the truth, suppressing it. Uh, to make your first selfish agenda. The Bible says we do that all the time, especially towards God. So because we live in God's world, right? We all believe something true. We have to. We live here. And yet we're also spinning truth about God for our selfish agenda. There's a disconnect between our pretend story and the real story. There's always a disconnect. And so what persuasion does is, hey, let's find that disconnect, the place where what you're saying about life really doesn't fit with reality. Can we talk about that? Can we ask questions there? And then, the four, so, so the first one is ask questions. Second one, build on common ground. Third one, question the disconnect. Fourth, challenge and resolve that disconnect with the person of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way the truth, and the life. If that's true, and it is, then that he and who he is and what he's done is always the answer. And we'll see that. Amazingly, we're, we're gonna watch Jesus now in this passage in Luke 18. I wanna see, I, wa I want us to watch together his dealings with uh, what we tend to call the rich young ruler. We don't know his name, so we have to call him that. It's kinda lame, right? The ruler. So we're going to watch his dealings with the ruler, and, and we're going to see, again, what Jesus is teaching, and hopefully we'll believe it. Secondly, we'll see how he's doing it and follow his example, okay? So let's look together. Luke 18. First thing to see, a ruler asks him, what does he ask him? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's the question right there, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? A few observations. Number one, this dude here, rich young ruler, this is the ultimate good person. You ever met somebody and you're like, they're just a good person. They have it all together. They're nice, successful, good, okay? For this culture, this guy's picture is on the wall in the Museum of Good People. Okay, every mother in the town wants her daughter to marry this guy. In a very religious culture, he is a religious leader. He's also rich. I know in church we, we don't love money. Don't you want your daughter to marry a rich guy secretly? Okay, he's a good person. He's a religious leader. He's rich. He's successful. He has it all together. That's, that's who we should be like right here. This guy is a good person. Second thing to notice, the good person respects Jesus to an extent. What's he call him? 
good teacher. So he comes to Jesus saying, I believe you have some good advice for my life. I may or may not take it. So he's listening to Jesus, he's interested, and he comes with a question, but it seems to be a limited respect. Third, he's been listening enough to be bothered about something. What does this guy want to know about? How do I inherit eternal life? Let's just remember what, what we're trying. What, what is eternal life? Nobody wants to live forever in a nursing home, right? Um, it's not what we're talking about. Eternal life is to enjoy the kingdom of God forever. Uh, it's to be resurrected. It's to live in the new heavens and the new earth. It's to enjoy paradise with God and his people forever when this life is over. It's to know God. It's to be invited into his life to have eternal life, deep life, real life, abundant life. And, and by the way, if this is a real thing, right, maybe you're an atheist and you're like, when we die, it's over. Okay. But if you believe in an afterlife and a judgment, and there is such a thing as eternal life, you want this, right? How big is this? I mean, isn't this kind of the biggest thing ever? I mean, no matter how bad you have it here, if you have eternal life with God forever, enjoying his kingdom, you'll be okay, right? You're good. And no matter how good you have it here, if it's death and then judgment, and you don't have eternal life with God, if you're going to pay for your sins... It doesn't matter how good you have it here. You're in, you're in trouble. And Jesus said it plainly, not everyone gets eternal life. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. So that's that's kind of scary. People who claim to follow Jesus, not all of them will receive eternal life. It takes more than claiming him. So how do you get eternal life? That's, that's the question. That's the question. And now look at Jesus' response. What does Jesus say in verse 19? First thing he says. You know, he could have come back with an answer, right? Well, here's how. Instead, he gives, oh, what's the first step to persuasion? <laughs> Ask questions. What does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? Wait, Jesus, I was asking you about eternal life. Why did you come back with this question? Why do you call me good? What do you think? What is Jesus trying to do? You need to rethink something. And what you need to rethink is all about goodness. But this, this is questions, right? I mean, look at the questions that come up. Uh, do you need to be good to have eternal life? Good question. Um, what is goodness? Do I make it up in how I feel about things? Do I create my standard for goodness? Uh, does a culture create its own standard for goodness? How do you know what's good? Because your mom told you? Because you saw it on television? Because you, you went to an Ivy League school? Where do you find the standard for goodness? How do you know? And are you, are you good? Like, 
Whatever the standard is, have you met the standard? Is, is being good feeling like you're good? Is it doing something? Do you see all the questions that come with goodness? And not only that, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why are you coming to me with this question? And that raises more questions. Who do you think I am that I would have the answers on eternal life? You think I'm trustworthy on this? And it raises even, so say I give you the answer, Jesus says, are you going to follow it? You trust me that much? Ask a question. Helps him rethink this idea of goodness. What was the second step? Ask questions. Second step, persuasion. Build on common ground. Does Jesus build on common ground? Yeah, look at this. What's he start quoting? You know the, verse 20, you know the commandments Jesus has tons in common with this rich young ruler. They both grew up Jewish. They both grew up religiously. They both go to synagogue all the time. When Jesus says, you know the Ten Commandments, the guy's not like, what are you talking about, Ten Commandments? He doesn't say, oh, those are stupid. I don't believe in the Ten Commandments. No, they have incredible amounts of common ground. They both believe in the God of the Old Testament. They both believe the Ten Commandments, right? So Jesus is working from common ground. But now, third step. What is it? Ask questions, build on common ground. Third one, question the disconnect. See, here's the disconnect. What do you think the rich young ruler believes about himself? He's good. And he's not just good, he's like, good. He's syrupy good. He's rich. He's a religious leader. Okay? So Jesus is going to remind him of three essential realities. This is going to be huge for, for if you try to persuade people in your life. Three essential realities. What does Jesus say right after this question? Why do you call me good? Next line. No one is good except God alone. What's the standard for goodness? God. God is good. He is good in his character, in his faithfulness. He's always good. What an incredible statement about reality. He is good. He does what is good. That's goodness. And it makes sense, doesn't it? If if my culture makes up goodness, well, my culture says this and your culture says that, who wins? What do we do, fight over it? Um, If it's my opinions, well, I feel like I'm good. Well, I feel like you're not good. Whose feelings win? For there to be actual goodness, there has to be something over us, fundamental to us. God is good. Then Jesus says in verse 20, you know the what? The commandments. How do you know what it means to be ethically and morally good? Well, God, who is truly good, has to tell you, and he's done so in his law. Ten Commandments is a great picture of goodness. What do you think? If you lived out the Ten Commandments, would you be good? You'd be super good. You'd be righteous. Never lie. Full of integrity. Loving God. Loving your neighbor. So God's standard defines goodness for everyone. So first thing Jesus said is God is the ultimate standard of goodness. Second, you know what goodness is from his law Third, what's the question again? How do I get 
eternal life. What's the connection between goodness and eternal life? Well, God is good, his standard defines goodness, and if you wanna see eternal life, you have to be good according to his standard. And this is devastating. This is devastating. God being perfectly good, perfectly hates evil. Wow. And so Jesus says to this guy, well, you know the commandments, names a couple, you got to do these. And what's the, uh, what's the ruler say in verse 21? Gravy. I've been doing these from the beginning. Easy. <laughs> Aren't some of you like? <laughs> wow. You know, Israel's heroes aren't this confident. Isaiah's like, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I've said some nasty stuff. Isaiah, Daniel, one of the heroes ever, he's like, God, we have sinned, I have sinned, we have sinned. Israel's history and scripture show we all sin and will never be good on our own merits. Psalm 130, verse three, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Who's, if God's paying attention, who can stand at the day of judgment and be like, oh, I'm good? I mean, Really? Wow. And then the way Jesus has always taught his commandments, he teaches them from the heart, you know? Thou shalt bear in false witness. Thou shalt, sorry. Whoa. No, no. Pastor Matt said we could lie. No. Um, Thou shalt not bear false witness. He's thinking, well, I never went to court and lied about somebody. Oh, come on. It's all, Jesus teaches this has got to be from the heart. Who in this room could say they've never lied? That's unbelievable. Honor your father and mother. You always obeyed your parents. <laughs> Is this guy's mom here? Could somebody call her, right? How many of you could stand just on that one if we brought your moms in? No, no, right? Okay. Uh, and Jesus said, the command on adultery, never lusted. Dude, you have never lusted after a woman in your heart? Oh, kept all the commands. Do you see a disconnect here? This guy claims to believe in the God of the Bible. He claims to believe in God's commandments. And he's got this little self-made narrative. I'm good. Do you see a disconnect? There's no way you're good based on the standard. This rich ruler is making up a standard of his own so that he can keep it and feel like he's good. And that is not just something for ancient history. Are you a good person? Are you sitting there right now? Are you a good person? Hey, depending on the standard, if, if we're judging each other based on like normal people around here, a lot of you are awesome people. Yeah, you're really good people. We can use language right that, like that, right? Oh, that's a really good person. Love that person. Sweet. I know what you mean. Um, but when you stand before God, is he going to be like, true or false, you were better than Hitler? <laughs> oh, good. Come on in. Sweet. No. What standards is he going to use? You know what standard. 
The Ten Commandments, or Jesus had two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's enough, folks. Do you love him like that? Have you always loved him like that? I haven't. Not close. Not close. So you see this guy, listen, you know, he thinks he's good, and uh, after 39 years of being a sinner and 11 years of being a pastor, I could say this, never underestimate the power of a person doing what is bad to insist that they are good. Can I get an amen or something? That was, that was good. I'm sure you all agree with me when it comes to other people. <laughs> Jesus is challenging the disconnect. He's questioning the disconnect. And then, remember the, the force, so we ask questions, we build on common ground, we question the disconnect, and then we, we challenge and resolve it with the person of Jesus. Well, guess what Jesus is gonna do right here? He's gonna challenge and resolve the disconnect with himself. Now, isn't it interesting so far uh, did, did you notice which of the commands Jesus quoted and which ones he didn't? He mentioned several of the what we could call horizontal commands, right? This is how you treat other people. Isn't it strange he did not mention any of the vertical commands? Because you realize there's five more in there, right, about your heart towards God. Is that just accidental or do you think Jesus is just so good at what he does? I'm with option two. Wow. He is so good at what he does. Now he's going to give a summary of those five commands towards God in one, um, one calling. Look what he says in 22. So the guy says, yeah, I'm good. And Jesus says, all right, I'm press you in now. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I want you, how many of you saw two things? You saw two things? Sell all you have and then come follow me. Jesus says, one thing you lack. This is one thing, it's not two things. It's one thing. The one thing that summarizes all the commands on how we relate to God was in these three words by Jesus. Come, follow me. How do you worship God and live rightly with God according to Jesus? You follow him. You follow him. By the way, what an opportunity. Um, listen, everybody lives, everybody dies. I don't need to be a prophet. You're all gonna die, okay? You wanna live while you live. You wanna hit it on all cylinders. How rad would it be to follow Jesus? Look at, look at the opportunity this man has received. What did Jesus just offer to this guy? You, right here, right here during my ministry on earth, the biggest thing in history, right here. You follow me. Come on, man. You can follow me. How awesome would that be to follow him in the flesh? 
I mean, anybody can be rich. Anybody can be rich. Some of you are like, well, I wish I was rich. Oh, come on, you are rich. You are rich. In the history of the world, you're so rich. I'm, I'm going to Haiti in February. I'm going to come back and be like, feeling like a millionaire. You're rich. Did you hear what Jim Carrey said a while ago? One of Hollywood's highest paid actors. He said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and everything they dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Come on. You could follow Jesus. This guy invited him to follow, to follow him right there. And look how it's fitting together, okay? It's, it's, it's kind of a complicated conversation that happens, but the question is, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus has said, you have to be good. And only God is good, and you know goodness from his standard. So if you want to get eternal life, you have to be good. And the guy says, well, I'm following the standard. And Jesus very gently is saying, you're not close. But he, he does it, but, but he, he forces the issue with this line. All right, you want to be good? You want to see eternal life? What? Follow me. I'll make you good. Follow me. I'll make you good. I'll get you in. You want to see eternal life? Trust Jesus. And this is epic what he's saying because he's saying is, remember to be good you have to follow all the commands. Who can do that? Who's never lied? Who always loved God? I only know of one person. Jesus. And he'll carry you on his back. This is what he, look, look down at verse 31. It's Jesus who makes you good. It's amazing that right after this story with the rich ruler, look what Jesus says to his disciples, verse 31. Taking the 12, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. After flogging him, they'll kill him, and on the third day, what? He will rise. This is how Jesus makes you good. This is it. He lived a perfect life. So if you trust in him and follow him, he will give you that standing for free. That's just fantastic. I mean, can you, have you ever imagined standing before a holy God and him opening up your brain and your motives and your past and your history and looking at you and you're naked in every way, just, and there it is, you are known, man, and all your, all your excuses and all your slimy ways of, it's just exposed, you're seen. Can you handle that moment when he sees you? And then, oh, to realize that you would wear the perfection of Jesus and that God would say to you, you're perfect. You wear the righteousness of Jesus. Come on in to eternal life. Jesus lived that life for you. Jesus died on the cross for this reason, to take upon himself the wrath you and I deserve for our rebellion. God's angry at sin. You know, one thing I love about God is he doesn't tremble to the political correctness. Do you ever feel trembly about the political correctness? Like I just said, wrath publicly that God has wrath. You know what political correctness does with that? And I could be like, God, God's not trembling. Has he ever been ashamed of his love for what is right and his hatred for what is evil? He's not ashamed. 
but he is gracious. And he poured out his wrath that you and I deserve on the innocent one so that we could be forgiven, washed clean, freed, made new, made good. And Jesus rose from the dead to give us that new life. Wow. Do you see how Jesus has resolved this? What's the need? I need to get eternal life. And so the way this guy's done it is I'm going to create a fake goodness and pretend like I'm good. And Jesus said, that doesn't work. That's not real goodness. So he's pushed at the disconnect. But then he's resolved it. You need to be good so you can get eternal life? I got you. Follow me. I'll make you good. I'll fulfill God's love for you. I'll make you right. Follow me. But here's the catch, right? Following Jesus means no other masters. One thing you still lack, follow me. And for this guy in this time and this place, what does following Jesus mean for him? Get rid of your stuff and give it to the poor. Love your neighbor. Get rid of your stuff and give it to the poor. And follow me. And it should probably be said, or, you know, some of you might think, wait, to be a Christian, you have to give away all your stuff? I don't see any Christians in this room. True, okay? Um, there's plenty of other places in Scripture where um, people have wealth, and they're not told to get rid of all their wealth. They're told to be generous and not hope in their wealth. So wealth is not itself evil, but Jesus deals with each person individually. Um, there's a different time and place, different calling for different, uh, different people, different place in life. The point for this guy is it's pretty clear what he loves. What does this guy love? He loves his money. And so Jesus says, the one thing you lack is to follow me with all your heart. And for you, that's going to mean love me more than your money. And by the way, how do you know you love God more than money? Because you feel like it, right? Don't y'all love God more than money because you feel like it? (laughs) How do you know you love God more than money? There's one really concrete way to know. And that is you give generously. You give sacrificially, especially to the poor and to the needy. And so Jesus says, one thing you lack, follow me above all else. How does the man respond? He comes to Jesus asking for eternal life and he leaves sad. Why? Because he had great possessions. It's really amazing, uh, the power of unbelief. Remember I told you unbelief is the problem? Suppresses God's truth due to a selfish agenda. This guy's been living in his story. I'm a good person and I love my money. And Jesus deflated it, showed him the reality. And now look at this. The guy who's a good person Listen, this kid grew up in a Jewish world, right? What has he been saying about the Christ, the Messiah, all his life? When the Christ comes, I'm going to follow him. Wouldn't it be great when the Christ comes? All his life he's been going to Sabbath. God, you're the best. We love you. It's all from you. Oh, I want to obey your commands. I'm religious. I'm a good person. And then Jesus said, Jesus the Christ said, come and follow me and give away your possessions. And the guy said, No. 
I don't want you. Is he good? Is he good? What's he think about God's goodness? What would he rather have? Jesus or money? I mean, he just said to Jesus, my money is better than you. You're so not good, you can't compare with my cash. This guy has been revealed. And he's not good. But he's hanging on to his fake story so tightly because he loves that idol. We got to pause right here, right? Do you have... What's keeping you from following Jesus all the way? And we, we kind of take a step back here because in general, this group, and I'm, I'm, the, I'm the first one in line, we tend to be religious people. I'm at church a lot. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> I'm a good person. I'm a pastor. I have a master's of theology. I talk a lot about religion. And I could be just like this guy. Do I love Jesus more than anything? Have I trusted in him? Have I looked to him? And is there anything I'm keeping where if he's like, I want that, I'd be like, no, I'd rather have this than you. Do you have something like that? Just take a step back in your own mind and look at yourself and be like, do I have my values right? Are you seeing what's really worthwhile? Are you telling me something's better than Jesus, the Son of God, who makes you right with God? Wow. So Jesus, uh, wow, he's amazed. Verse 24, seeing that the man had become sad, he said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, who can be saved? Well, I think you get the point, right? We, can, we could have a hard time getting a camel in this room. Um, you know, it's not going to go. It doesn't fit. <laughs> it's not possible. Isn't that, the, isn't that the idea? This doesn't work. It's not possible. D- do you hear what Jesus said? It's, those who have, it's, it's, that's, that's how easy it is for rich people to go to heaven, is for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. What do you do with that? Our unbelief, our idolatries are so strong, we can latch on to this world so hard and make it all about stuff that we just, we can't even see Jesus for who he is and follow him. It's impossible, but look, look, here's the hope, verse 27. But what is impossible with man is what? Possible with God. God can change a heart. God can change a heart. God can show you the beauty of Christ so that you love him more than anything, you're satisfied with him, and you're ready to follow. Wow. That's what Peter says, verses 28 to 30. Uh, hey, we did that. We followed you. And we, you know, it's, it's great to see this. Peter says, we followed you. We know from the gospels. Uh, did they follow Jesus perfectly? No, not close. So we see following Jesus isn't like hitting instant perfection all the time. It's not even anything like that. But it's a trust in him that follows him above anything else. Peter says, we've done that. And and Jesus basically says, and you'll be provided for, and in the age to come, you're gonna receive what? Here's the answer to the question. Do you see it? Verse 30, in the age to come, you'll see eternal life. 
So first thing, let's see what Jesus said, okay? How do you get eternal life? Jesus just told you. It's not by your own goodness, because only God is good, and you haven't kept God's commands. So to see eternal life is to follow him, because Jesus will make it like you have obeyed every command. He will make you good. And if you follow him above all else, you'll receive eternal life. Believe it. Trust it. Second, how did he do it? How did Jesus do this? How did he say what he said? He asked questions, didn't he? He built on common ground. He questioned the disconnect between somebody's unbelief and the reality of God's world, and he resolved it in himself. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you? Well, I hope you're... First of all, most important, I want everybody in here to have eternal life, right? Don't you want to be good in the sight of God? Don't you want to know his love, his forgiveness? Don't you want to have the joy of following Jesus? You can follow him now. So trust him. Believe him. Nothing's better than he is. Second, if you are persuaded of that, what do you want to do this year? What are you going to do in these relationships you have? What are we going to do? We got to persuade others. We gotta persuade others of how Jesus gives eternal life. Here's the problem. How many of you had somebody come up to you last week and say, how do I, get in, how do I inherit eternal life? Anybody? Anybody come up to you and be like, I gotta know, how do I get to heaven? Okay. Nobody asked you that. A recent Pew poll said seven out of 10 Americans believe a bunch of religions lead to eternal life. And half of those who claim to be Christian believe a bunch of religions lead to eternal life. You know the reason nobody's asking how to get eternal life? Everyone in our culture assumes that we have eternal life. And if that's true, then great. If you think it's true, you've got a disconnect to deal with. Because Jesus said it isn't. It's not true. Because just like the rich young ruler, our culture has its own standard we're inventing about what it means to be good. And we think that's the one God's gonna use. It isn't. How are they gonna know that? You're gonna have to ask questions. You're gonna have to talk with your friends. You're gonna have to ask questions like, and how do we even know what it means to be good? And just listen for a while. Where, where do you get your standard of goodness? You're going to have to build on common ground. We live in a culture that in one way doesn't care about goodness, but in another way deeply cares about certain kinds of justice and morality, human rights, right? Deep passion for human rights in our day, which is great. We can build on that. We can affirm on that. We can learn from it. It's awesome. But at some point, we got to question the disconnect, if your standard for goodness is your culture, then it's not really a standard of goodness. It can't be binding on everyone. Or you know, if you have a standard of goodness, and it's not God and it's not his word, why do you think everyone should follow it? Then you might say, well, I don't think everyone should follow it. 
Well, I bet you do when it comes to, like, me stealing your wallet. Everybody's got moral absolutes somewhere, right? Why do you think that's the way it is all the time for everyone? We live in a secular culture, so most people assume kind of a materialistic way of looking at things. So you tell me, what's the, what's the driving force of the universe from a secular or kind of atheistic point of view? How does it happen? How did we evolve? How did we come to this place? Well, wouldn't it be like survival of the fittest? Isn't that how we got here? Survival of the fittest, the weak die out, and the strong survive, okay? So if that's the core foundational force of the universe, have you tried on what that would look like ethically? Is it wrong for the male lion to come in and kill all the previous cubs so that he can impregnate all the the lionesses with his own genetics? Is that wrong for him? Survival of the citus, right? The strongest survive. Is that wrong for humans? You guys ever hear of Frederick Nietzsche? Atheist philosopher. One thing you'd love about him is that he just, he won't let the kind of good personism kind of float in the air. He exposes it constantly. He's like, listen, if, if, if a transcendent God is gone, let's not pretend. There's no reason to have absolute morals or goodness. The powerful should do what they want. So there's a disconnect in our culture, right? We want to move out a transcendent God, but we want to say there's goodness. You can't question it and resolve it with the person of Jesus. He really is the answer. We see from him only God is good. God's law is the standard. We haven't kept the standard There'll be trouble in the day of judgment, but here's the most persuasive thing of all, that God's goodness would be seen in the giving of his son, that shocking trade where Jesus takes upon himself my evil and gives me his perfection just by his grace through faith, that despite being so rebellious, we are so loved, and this promise is for all who repent and trust in Jesus. And you realize this gives us an answer our culture can't give. Because our culture can't tell us why we should do something or why we would want to do something. It has no answers. Because it doesn't have an ethical authority overall. But the gospel not only tells us what's right and wrong for all, But it changes our hearts to where we want to do what's good, even at a cost. Like Peter said, we've given up everything to follow you. What is it it that, that enables someone to love consistently, to care for the weak consistently, to care about justice through all of life? What's gonna enable you to do that despite all the heartache and sacrifice? It's gonna be a heart that's continually filled with the knowledge that God has loved you, that God is gracious to you. And out of that thanksgiving and that joy in him, that's gonna give you the motivation to serve and to love. And it's gonna do it in a way, a secular motivation never could. Guys, love and truth and ethics and morals are found 
in the person of Jesus. I hope you are persuaded. Trusting in the power of God, let's persuade others. We pray with me? Father, we confess um, we're not as good as we like to think. We thank you and praise you that you have given us everything we need for eternal life, that in Jesus we're counted perfect and we don't have to earn it, strive for it or chase it. We just trust you and it's ours. I pray for everyone here, Lord, that our eyes would be on the beauty of what Jesus has done and we would believe it and that we'd enjoy that salvation you've given. And I also ask that as we go out from here, we would be the most loving persuaders that we can, um, showing people as best we can who you are and what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.